am your host, Denise Newsom, and here on the Denise Newsom Show, we give exposure where exposure is due. Please like, share, comment, subscribe, and give us some warm hearts and likes. This evening, we have a powerful fear, God-fearing man, a former honor roll student, Antoine J. Murphy, who went from addicted to death to addicted to life. Antoine was facing a 75-year sentence and was just released six and a half months ago. Antoine, tell us a little bit about you. Well, thanks for having me, Denise. Where do I start? I grew up in Racine, Wisconsin. People may not have heard of that city, but it's located in between Milwaukee and Kenosha. You know, I grew up in the inner city, poor. You know, back when food stamps was a thing, you know, I grew up as a, as you mentioned, an honor roll student. I made straight A's. I skipped half the seventh grade, you know, but we moved around a lot. So everywhere I went, I was the new guy, which got me picked on and I was skinny. So I heard the, you so skinny, you hula hoop through a Cheerio thing all the time. <laughs> all the, you can hang light on Dorito jokes. So I was ostracized a, a lot as well. I was referred to as light, bright, and damn near white, if I can say that. And so I felt like Rudolph, you know, my nose turned red in the wintertime. Like I said, I didn't get to join in reindeer games, if you will. You know, the heart of a kid is to play. And so I wasn't able to play with the other kids for my uh, intelligence and my lighter skin. So I pretty much stayed in the house doing homework. I guess that helped me be smarter, you know, by uh, high school, after I skipped half the seventh grade, the picking on took a new level. So I was referred to as the smart one by high school. The same kids went to school with me, a little rough uh, high school called Washington Park. And okay. so I was picked on by gang members, pushed into lockers, had books knocked out my hand. And, you know, I still remember the last time I made honor roll was first semester of ninth grade because I made a decision to uh, stop making honor roll so that uh, I can stop getting picked on. Right, right. Wow, wow. So our topic is we we the topic is addicted to death. Out of all the things you could be, have been addicted to, why death? Well, that's not something I consciously came up with. That's something that God showed me along the way when I was incarcerated, you know, I did, did 23 and a half years, you know, so during that time, I did a lot of soul searching, a lot of, uh, God found me, I didn't find him, so when he got a hold of me, he just spoke to me, I wanted to, I kept getting letters saying, you should write your story, write your life story, you should tell your story, your story deserves to be out there, and it's like, okay, I didn't know where to begin, so I started just uh, examining my life and what happened to me, the nuances of things and looking at, like I said, giving up on myself. So that was deadly. So like my addiction was no different than anybody else's because whatever addictions we have is death. We may view it as life, but it's actually death. So people who smoke and crack addicted to death, people chasing women addicted to death, no matter what you're addicted to, it's actually death. You know, and we know in the Bible say uh, Paul addicted himself to the ministry. That's different. 
But like I said, everything I'm doing was an addiction to death. God showed me since the Garden of Eden. That's where the addiction to death started when they, uh, figuratively speaking, bit the apple. That's when the death thing started. He said, hold on, you're going to die from here on out. So being already conditioned to die, we chase things that die as well, if that makes sense. Right, right, right. So you said that God found you. Yes. How did God find you? Ooh, sort what of like uh, my story is similar to Paul. Paul was going to persecute Christians when of no fault of his own, God got a hold of him. So right. I was going to uh, commit a crime while I was in prison. I had the idea to hurt somebody. I concocted the way to hurt the person. And while I was so here, I believe sometimes you do things you don't necessarily want to do. You just feel like you have to. And so that's how I felt like I got to hurt this guy. I got to send a message to the rest of the incarcerated community. Leave me alone. I right. weigh 100 pounds, but so that gets me victimized a lot or tempted to. So I always had to defend myself and I get sick of it. Like just right. getting my respect as a man. The guy wasn't doing that. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make him an example. I was in the process of getting ready to do it. I was writing letters in my mind like, man, uh, I had just turned 24 years old, 2003. Like, man, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison after I hurt this guy. So I start telling myself, you know what? Life ain't worth it. Who cares? He got to learn a lesson. And so in between that, I was in tears, literally like, man, I got to just tell my mom, don't come see me. I was cussing people out like, I'm just going to tell everybody, leave me alone. I'm just going to go to the feds and spend the rest of my life in prison and die here. And I don't want no love. I don't want nothing. I'm just going to be a hateful person. That's how I'm going to do the rest of my life in prison. And in between those tears, I still remember I was covered. I was sleep covered up to make sure ants don't get on me because they got ants in prison that I was in. And I remember I was in tears and literally a wave of air came over my body while I was laying on the floor because you sleep in floor. And uh, I remember the tears went away. And it was like, I was like, what just happened? It was like, trust me, you'll be all right. I'll never forget those words. Like, trust me, you'll be all right. And I'm like, who said that? And I remember the voice said it was me, God, the author of the Bible. And yes. along with that, somebody had sent me a Bible for my birthday and I had it on a stool and I only used to read it to argue with him about it. You know, I was of the thing yeah. like, I'm not going to believe in no white man's God. I don't care. You know, I didn't want to necessarily be Muslim either, but I'm like, I'm not going to believe in a white man's God. That was my stance. But that moment on, it was July 23rd, 2003. I'll never forget it. That changed my wow. whole life completely. Wow. And you were young. You were 18 years old when you was um, got arrested? Yes, I was 18 years old and 60 days to the date. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it sounded like by hearing you talk, like you were angry. I was. I was. Uh, I didn't know it. I even had the nickname Animosity. That's how angry I was. Wow. Okay. You know, uh, my thing was I was my model became straight hate. And I took the Muslim saying the hate that hate produce. And so that's what I told people when they asked me why your name animosity is like, I'm the hate that hate produce. And I hate you because I hate me. Or I'd be like, I hate me because I hate you. And that was my whole thing. I was on the verge of getting tattoos of demons. I came close to getting horns tattooed on my forehead. Thank wow. God I didn't. But that's how close I was and how demonic I was, if you will, before God got a hold of me. Right, right. Well, I, I thank God for your life and I thank God for Jesus that he came into your life, you know, because um, you was definitely going up that road of death for sure. What are some of the ways you personally pursued death, like other ways? Well, Tell I'll give you the, the chief, 
the chief primary way that I pursued death was I gave up on myself. So in ninth, like I said, in ninth grade, I made a conscious decision. I wanted to be like a guy named uh, Iron Mike. Like I grew up in a folks neighborhood. I wanted to be like all the folks. You know, they come to school with the money, the uh, herringbone necklaces. Someone was driving to school in fancy cars with uh back then they were uh different rims. Dayton's were the end rims. You know, I wanted to ride slick. I wanted to have uh, all the girls to lust after me. You know, so that was my chief aim. Like, I didn't like my name either. Like, even when I met you, with all due respect, you know, everybody mispronounces my name. I've been called Anthony, Antoine, <laughs> sometimes, but uh, Antonio, Anton, right, Anthony, right. uh, Anthony, right. Pronounce it. Pronounce yeah, it. It's Antoine. Antoine. Yeah. So even in school, my teacher, I remember my teacher used to get mad and say my mom couldn't spell and I was stupid. I couldn't spell my own name right because right. she like it should be a W in there. You know, and so that was the thing, too, like because I didn't like my name. So I grew up not liking my name. Another reason was when I was growing up back in the 80s. My like Antoine is short. Some people call me Twan. I hate that. And the reason <laughs> being is in the 80s, that was synonymous with homosexuality. And it's like I'm not a homosexual. And so by people calling me Twan, I was offended. So I didn't like the name Antoine at all, especially in living color. When they did men on film, that was a guy named Antoine. They called him Twan. It's like, I hated that name. People used to mess with me all the time. And so by me even hating my name was death because I hated my identity, if that makes sense. Because your name is synonymous with your identity, right. especially in the Bible. So like God showed me again, I kept changing my name because I didn't like my name, which was who I was. Right. right. You see? So like right. I never liked me from when I was little. I didn't like me. So that's the primary way that I pursued death along with... uh. I said, I chase women. I would risk my life to go on the other side of town to be have sex with a girl. And that's just yeah. the truth of the matter. You know, I didn't care about getting robbed, shot, or killed. It's like, you know what? Chasing women was everything, but that's death. That doesn't necessarily bring life to anything. It can bring new life, but it can still be deadly if you got wrong parents. Right. Right. True. True. And, you know, just talking with you and speaking with you. Um, it sounds like that it was a lot of anger even before you was 18. Is it like something that took place in your childhood or no? It's, I would say it's a cumulative effect. Like I grew up in foster homes. Again, I was ostracized okay. in foster homes. So like here, I've been victimized a lot. I've been, I got pushed off a roof when I was like seven, a guy pushing me off a roof for no reason. I was going to jump, but he pushed me off. So that required me to get 13 stitches. Shortly thereafter, I was going to Lincoln Supermarket. I remember I was sitting across the street. I ran across the street. A car let me go. You know how they wave you pad? I did that right before I hit the curb. I got hit by a car. You know, so. And like I said, then the community uh, violence that I suffered because of my light skin and my intelligence. You know, and so that was a cumulative effect. It's like over time I got angry. Like, I don't understand why everybody picking on me, why I just can't exist. I was full of love in first grade, but it's like kids. I remember some fifth graders called me over there. Hey, man, what's going on? None. Next, you know, they were doing wrestling moves on me. I was a small kid, so they was throwing me around the playground. Right. You know, and it's like I didn't understand why everybody was messing with me. So in a sense, anger became a defense. So when I was angry, I was able to respond to the victimization. Like, you know what? I'm going to give y'all what y'all give. 
me because like so I didn't understand it. Like that got people to leave me alone. So when I became angry, I got in a fight in 10th grade with a guy. Now I remember they could have jumped me because he was in the gang. It's like they could have jumped me, but they didn't. They let us have it out. And honestly, it felt good to smack somebody. So I in a sense won the fight, but that got me accepted into the gang because they like, oh, he's not a punk. But like I said, I was angry because it was a defense in my community to survive. Wow. Wow. Um, growing up, did you feel love when you was in the foster homes or no? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely okay. not. I can tell you that I had, uh, when I was there, like I've been in two different foster homes on two separate occasions. I'll explain. So I lived with one family twice and then I lived with a different lady twice. And so with the first couple that I lived with, it was a lot of abuse. It wasn't, it was a lot of physical abuse, you know, whereas like I used to get my mouth washed out with soap, but the only thing is they would hang me upside down in the sink. And one mm -hmm. person, the wife banging my head in the sink while the guy shoving soap in my mouth, but then they would give me a Klondike bar, which give a new definition. What would you do for a Klondike bar? You know, I would suffer child abuse just to get sweets. You know, and that didn't make sense to me. They would uh, have us pick our own switch. And then the guy would take like 10 minutes to take his little red pocket knife and he would shave the ends of the tree and twist it together and whistle and tell you how good he's going to give you a beating. You know, right. so eventually, to the best of my knowledge, they got eventually got arrested the second time we lived with them. Then when I lived with another lady, it was more of a... Uh, let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. You said when we lived with him, so you had a sibling with you? Yes, I had two brothers with me the first okay. and second time. And okay. then by the time I went to the another false home, I had had another little brother, you know. Okay. And so we all went through the same thing. I just remember my accounts. Right. You know, Are they and, your biological brothers or yes. your biological yes. brothers? Yes, because okay. none of the foster homes had other children present. Okay. You know, and like I said, when I lived with the single lady, it was more of a, I was just a paycheck. So I understand okay. she get paid to take care of me. And I was eight years old, but I, like I said, I was smart. So I understood okay. she get paid to take care of me, but she wasn't taking care of us. You know, it was right. more of a, we got hand-me-downs, thrift clothes. I was called a heathen all every day by her friend. You ain't nothing but a heathen. You going to hell. So remember I'm eight and I was already told I'm going to hell. You see, so I didn't understand the concept of God. I was made to go to church, but at the same time, they tell me I'm going to hell because I'm so bad that God don't want me. You know, so that affected me. Like I said, no Christmas, no birthdays, nothing. Right. No hugs, no kisses, none of that stuff. Right, right. I, I, you know, my, my heart goes to you on that, you know, on, on that note. I know a lot of people that have gone through that, but I thank God for Jesus for your life that you can be inspiration to other people. So um, have you gone to counseling? Have you taken any counseling or anything? You yes, and your I, siblings. Yes. When I was, uh, I can't speak for them, but when I was incarcerated, let me see. I think I had did like seven years. Again, I got a letter from a sibling saying, hey man, you should write, Tell your story, because how often does an honor roll student go to prison for 75 years? And right. I literally went to prison three. I graduated June 8th, 1997. I went to prison September 11th, 1997. Wow. You see? And so people I was voted most likely to succeed. So it was like you should tell your story. But I felt like, OK, I need to put my story out there. 
And I start going to therapy to kind of rehash my story and understand how I was. And so I met with a, a doctor. Her name was Andrea Nelson at Columbia Correctional. And uh, mm-hmm. they call it Portage. And uh, so a lot of things came out there. And I was trying to get a copy of my school records and get documentation to put in the autobiography to prove like I'm not making this stuff. These things happen. These foster parents went to jail. I did this many years in foster home. And so during therapy, I learned a lot about myself and why I did. What 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 did you learn about yourself? The primary thing I learned about the primary thing I learned is that I was addicted to giving up on myself. That's the primary thing I learned. Yeah, that's what it was. Like everything started when I gave up on myself and all it took was me to get angry and I would give up on myself. I would give up on my future. I would give up on anything. All I had to do was get mad and I would give up on myself. I also learned that the things that happened to me don't define me. You know, you know, and I also learned that uh, that I had to address that. Like here, I was in prison for I shot somebody during a robbery, you know. And like I tell people, I make mistakes. The only difference between me and them is my mistakes can be Googled. You see? Right. And so right. I shot somebody, but I had to address that. Like, man, I shot and he almost died twice. So I had to address the fact and confront the fact that right. I almost took somebody's life for nothing. Right. You know, and it should be known. I didn't get money out of the robbery. Even if I did, I would have had to pay it back. It just like it happened like that. And it's like almost had uh, to deal with killing somebody and so i had to address that fact like the thing was everybody asked why did you do it and it's like i have no explanation why i did except for i tell people like i was trying to kill me and he got too close and that's not an excuse it's just like that's the only explanation i have is that i didn't want to live and somehow it transitioned to me hurting people you know because anybody who wants to live dr dre said it one time on a a record you know he's a famous rapper but he said Nobody going to go out there and shoot somebody unless they just stupid. And he made music about doing it, but he like, you ain't going to do it for real. But like, I did it for real, you know, right. and I had to live with the consequences. Like I said, I did, uh, I had, they gave me 75 years in prison for my actions. Right. You know, but right. I learned like, man, what happened to me? I wanted real fast. I wanted to be a doctor. So that's what really I had to dress. Like I wanted to be a doctor when I was little and somehow I wound up being in prison for being wow. or taking life when I wanted to help life live right 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 do you do you think that um so tell us what made you do that 180 what really turned your life around we talked about you being in prison and the things that took place while you were in prison but what actually had you i know god but change uh when i was incarcerated i came into myself like i came into my manhood something that before i even met god right before he introduced himself i was uncomfortable in prison something inside of me and like i said this is pre-god something inside me was like this is uncomfortable this is not natural it just didn't speak. I didn't know nothing about spirit. So I just knew like I didn't fit in in prison. I didn't act like everybody else. I didn't talk like other people. I wasn't cookie cutter. I wasn't excited to be there. I didn't make up things to do to make it better. I did 
within six years, I hated prison. I hated life. I just wanted to die, to be honest with you. I wasn't strong enough to commit suicide. That was the only thing. Like, I didn't think I, I didn't even know how to tie the knot. I'm just being honest. I tried well, to do it one day. Yeah, I tried to tie the noose one day and I couldn't even do it. Now, like, I suck at everything. You know what I mean? And so, it was like, what happened? And so, the real thing happened in, let me see, because I, I keep journals so I know dates. Yes. It was June 3rd, 1999. I got a letter from a guy named uh, Tyrone Cross. I'll give him a shout out. But he was my next door neighbor when I was, because I started off in juvenile prison, as they call it, right, right. right in my hometown. So that messed with you. I was in a prison in my hometown that my mom lived two blocks away from. I can't describe the feeling of being in the prison that you watch be built. Yes. You see, you watch a prison be built, never thinking you're going to be in it. Right. And the whole time I'm walking right. around the courtyard of the prison, I know what street I'm on on the outside, if that makes sense. So like Hinkle Memorial yes, Drive, Hinkle Hamilton, Hinkle this Albert Street, and I forgot the other street, but it's like I'm literally incarcerated yes. in my own community. In it's your like, own that. community. That's yes. like, damn, I, right. know, I watch me built. Like nobody know what that's like. You can smell right. the barbecue. It's you can like hear. being so close yet so far. Yeah, and you can smell so the barbecue so cooking across here. You see people you know while you're on the prison bus. They throwing up right. signs and hey and waving at you and it's like, so that was one thing, that thing. But back to the uh, the letter, when Tyrone Cross wrote me, like I said, I just met him in prison. I got in a fight, went to segregation. He wrote me a letter and told me, man, I'm disappointed in you. You know, he held me accountable, which nobody had did the whole time I was incarcerated. Nobody told me. He told me I might can go home. He's like, what would you do if they let you go home? I'm looking like I got 75 years. I'm not going home. My My release date was 2072. This is 99 when he wrote me the letter. Like, man, I'm like, I'm not going home. But he said, if they let you go, what would you do? And that day, I remember I had a single cell. I walked back and forth like, what am I good at? I can't be a doctor. I'm incarcerated. No way I can be a doctor. So I just start, like I said, again, soul searching. I start walking in my cell by myself. And like, what am I good at? And I remember that what came to me was that right before I got incarcerated, I had went to Chicago. And uh, a friend was like, well, the guy like how y'all dress, me and my brothers. And like he want to give us our own clothing line. We just had to come up with a name. And I remember when he told me that I had a notebook. I said, I'm introverted. So I spent a lot of time by myself. But I remember trying to come up with a name for a clothing line. But I wanted to represent the game that I hung with. So I'm trying to talk slick. And it's like it hit me, though, like, you know what? Always wanted to draw. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have my own clothing line. That's what I'm going to do. I said, if they ever let me out of prison, I'm going to have my own clothing line. I remember that day. I still have the drawing somewhere, but like I said, I remember the date, June 3rd, 1999. I started drawing. I didn't know how to draw a t-shirt or anything, but that's what I started doing. I started trying to figure out how to draw t-shirts, how to draw clothes. Right. I didn't have a name. I just was like, you know what? I'm going to figure something out. And that was the initial spark, the light. Like I tell them, it was no light at the end of the tunnel. I drew one. Literally, I drew right. a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Right. Yes. Um. You have two clothing lines right don't you have two clothing lines or i have several out right now it's just in the beginning stages like i had this yeah. uh the god made stuff i'm working on but there's several god made clothing lines it's just we god made university so there's five of them we god made university then i'm working on other ones where i haven't officially given them names yet and some i'm okay. secretive about because of the trademark and just honest right. but oh yeah i'm oh, yeah. currently I'm making a sweater right now. I got it on my bed. I literally sit in my room and make clothes. And that's part of my abundant life. 
Right. You know, right. can I show it to you? Um, you can. Yeah. yeah. So right now, because they don't believe I do this by hand either. Ain't got the needle and thread. But this is a sweater I'm working on. It says homesick. Wow. You see? But wow. literally, nice. that's Very what I nice. thank you. Very nice. So tell us, we're, we're running out of time, but tell us, what do you think of yourself today? You were addicted to death, but now you're addicted to love, um, to life. So tell us about your addiction to life. Well, my addiction to life is quite amazing. I love, I know who I am. I tell people, like I have a lot of models. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I know how to get there. So right now, like Jesus said in John 10, 10, I can that they may have life and life more abundantly. So I have yeah. abundant life. So when I was in prison, I was too big for that sale. You see, because Solomon right. said the heavens of the heavens and the earth can't contain God and God in me. So eventually I couldn't be contained in that cell. And so when they released me, I have it here. My dream journal. And yes. I showed it to you before, like yes. number 61 is real small, but it says, talk show guest or host and so this is yeah. my dream journal and right here i got a hundred things they can't see it but these are all dreams god is going to accomplish through me and some wow. of them read like sit on a community panel visit shriners hospital get a bachelor's degree go to design school meet certain famous people volunteer in a soup kitchen which i do prison ministry lamborghini go to london all these things are things yeah. god told me are his will for my life because i don't necessarily Name it and claim it. I won't go in detail, but it's like, I only claim that which God named to me. That makes sense? So Paul, when he was on the ship, yes. said, I'm not going to die because God told me. So I'm going to have all these things have eternal yes. because God told me. And yes. so there's nothing nobody can do. Now, the devil in hell can stop me. So like I said, that's the life is that I'm full of it. So now like life breathes life. Now I'm breaking generational curses in my family with generational Amen. blessings. I'm bringing generational wealth. And I know that mm -hmm. we are the voice of the people. I'm a voice for the people and to the people so that I love who I am now. And so now life, I can feel it rising up right now. You see, wow. like life is just spilling out of me. You see? And even when I get it wrong, Thank I still you, know Jesus. that I'm created to live. And so now that's Thank what I'm you, created Jesus. to do. I'm created to live. So now I'm going to live the best life I can. I'm going to live the life God said I can have. Yes. That's so I right. speak life to the life God speak that's to me. Right. You see, that's so that's right. what it is. What God tell me I can have, I can have because he yeah. told me I can have it. And he's not a liar that he should yeah. lie. That's right. That's right. That's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I am so thankful for you. Our time is running out. I want to thank everyone for watching. I know that you were blessed mightily by Antoine's story, his wisdom, the outlook that he have on life today. Antoine, thank you for coming on the show this evening sharing your story and testimony and your experience in prison and in foster care being your authentic self i really we really appreciate you and i will definitely have you on the show again stand firm no matter what you stand firm on god's promises just as you say and you will be all right no matter what no matter what, no matter what it looks like, no matter what anybody think or say, you know, God, you know, to stand on his promises. I am going to ask the audience, and I never did this before, 
but I wanted to see if anyone would, he just got home, Antoine just got home like six months ago, and I wanted to see, and um, it's up on the screen, if you would be a blessing to him financially, um, he can definitely use a financial blessing. Join us next week. We have author Robert A. Vilmo. He was on October 11th, and this is going to be part two of my journey in listening to God's voice and influencing people's lives. You do not want to miss this man of God. He, again, he was on October 11th. If you didn't see that show, go back and watch it. Watch the replay. God bless. Stay safe. I love you. Check out my website, denisenewsome.com, and I will see you next week. Need a little